Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds, it's a podcast. Just for the halibut! Welcome to Fish Nerds, the show about fish, fishing, and eating fish. The award-winning show that is always interesting, usually funny, and mostly true. I'm Megan from Ono Lick Class. Wow. And I thanks, Megan, for being here. I'm Clay Groves, Chief Executive Fish Nerd, uh, Licensed Fishing Guide, your best friend. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, I, I, every week I make this podcast, and I'm always shocked that, first of all, anyone listens at all, and then even more shocked that our listeners are growing. Like Every week we're picking up hundreds of new numbers, new listeners, which is so exciting. So um, because of that, and we'll take it to Megan in a second here, but because of, of that growth, this episode, a special episode. This is a kind of a primer for new podcast listeners, new Fish Nerds fans. And I, I invited Megan from Oh No Lit Class, one of my favorite, actually the only literature podcast I listen to. I'm not, a, I'm not smart Ooh. enough. To, I, I, well, I'm not smart oh, enough. I, feel one so of them. I know. <laughs> okay. Well, then I feel special. We're, we're, the, we're the one. <laughs> <laughs> the one. Uh, but anyway, I invited her on because I need someone else to talk to and someone who can like ask me questions to help me get deeper into the conversations. So we're going to jump in here in a second. Here's how the show is going to go. Uh, we're going to break this down into a few chapters. Chapter one is going to be the history of the fish nerds. We're going to take you back in time to 2011 when the fish nerds were born. The gross birth oh, of the fish nerds. I know. It's crazy. Then we're going to jump into talking about the Fish Nerds Correspondence. What is a correspondent? How do I become one? And do I ever want to be one? Then John King, one of our correspondents, made a little segment for us called His Six Effin' Best Episodes, which he pre-recorded, which we have ready to go. And then uh, chapter four is going to be because of the podcast. Because I make a podcast, these are the cool things that I get to do because of the Fish Nerds. So... Really exciting. But before we jump into all that, uh, Megan, you're here from a podcast called Oh No Lit Class. Why don't you tell us what that's about? Oh No Lit Class is a, a show that I co-host with um, my, my co-host, RJ. Uh, and we're both two former English grad students, teachers, um, and we tell you all the things that you never knew about the books that you either had to read in school or looked at and went, nope. No, thanks. Don't want that. Not going there. Uh, and, you know, just interesting author bio tidbits, trivia. Um, Nathaniel Hawthorne, author of The Scarlet Letter, spent a good uh, chunk of his adulthood having to shovel poop for a job. <laughs> well, we all did that. that. Was, yeah. Yeah. Before he, before he got that, that cushy customs house job, he was in charge of the poop hill at the yeah. Transcendentalist Commune. And that's just some of the, the, uh, Cool, fun, and arguably gross things that you will learn on Ono Lit Class along. I can well imagine. And first of all, shout out to one of our Patreon uh, subscribers, uh, Beth Metz, who is a literature teacher and listens to our show. And she will definitely be checking out your show. No question about it. So hi, Beth. Um, hi, Beth. I'm so, I'm so we call sorry, her Beth. Metz. We call her Metz. Yeah. So she's fantastic. She's living. In fact, the room I'm in recording and used to be her bedroom. She used to be one of my roommates. So, oh no, lit class, and you can get that anywhere you get fine podcasts, right? 
<laughs> anywhere fine podcasts. Literally, oh. literally anywhere. Fine podcasts, less than fine podcasts. We're, we're all of the anywhere all those mediocre cast. podcasts. So I heard that you <laughs> are a huge fan of Moby Dick. Let's, let's, and Moby Dick is almost a fish, right? It, it's practically just, it's just right there. Um, that was sh- shout out to Paul Chomo <laughs> or, or for, for, from for doing this. Uh, so we, we talk about a lot of books on the show and a lot of times the approach we take is like, okay, maybe this is something that was difficult when, you know, you first approached it in school or something like Shakespeare, which is hard. A lot of people think they don't like Shakespeare because they aren't taught it in a fun and interesting way. Well, no, you're wrong. Um, you're wrong. Shakespeare sucks and there's nothing else you can do about it. Shakespeare is <laughs> the worst. <laughs> Fucking, excuse me. I don't say that F word much on this show. I hate Shakespeare. The worst. Wow. Goddamn, this goddamn wow, nightmare to read. Ready. Anything, any movie based in Shakespeare is awful. Any play. I went to see some play uh, in town last year, some Shakespeare play. It took me an hour to realize they were speaking English. Awful. Just bad, bad, horrible. Sorry. Yeah, but there was a Hamlet that I saw in New York and Mm -mm. Keegan-Michael Key was there Mm -mm. and Oscar Isaac was there. Mm -mm. He was in his underwear and there was a lasagna. The lasagna, <laughs> <laughs> and I hated Moby Dick the first time I read it, and mm-hmm. I hated Moby Dick the second time I read it, and it's I'm going terrible. to die mm-hmm. hating Moby Dick. Yes, awful <laughs> because it's the worst. Now, what did it's you hate most about worst. it? Nothing, nothing happens. Nothing happens. They're on a boat, and nothing happens. And Ahab ha- is is full of of angst and rage, and nothing happens. And then, hey, hey, oh, oh, you think something was going to happen? Now, here's a chapter about how whales do which is like what you thought you were reading a novel (laughs) you thought you were reading a novel and not a guide to whales like that's the thing i would not necessarily be adverse to learning about whales whales are interesting but i thought i was reading a novel about adventure and stabbing on the high seas but no and then, and Moby Dick shows up in like the third to the last chapter. And then Ahab just dies like a punk. He doesn't get to do anything cool. He, he goes, from hell's heart, I stab at thee. And then he dies. Spoil, spoilers for Moby Dick, which isn't worth re- reading anyway. I just saved you so much time. So <laughs> much time. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad we had this talk. Now, this actually segues really <laughs> nice into the, into the history of the Fish Nerds because the Fish Nerds started off as a writing project. We started off trying to be writers and one of our early stories was we did a story called Pequod Reloaded where we tried to tell the story about catching the white fish one of the hardest fish to catch in New Hampshire and we tried to do it as uh, like Ishmael like we tried to write like Moby Dick turns out it's easy because you can just fill the page with words and never make a whole sentence it's not a big deal it's like if E.E. E. Cummings wrote a novel it's pointless it doesn't make any sense yeah, yeah. commas are your friends they are. They're good for you. So let's jump into the history of the Fishners. Thank you for being here, by the way. This is so cool. All right, let's go into into chapter into chapter one. The history of the Fishners. The Fishners were founded by my my friend Dave Kellum. We used to work together doing fish education. Then we didn't talk to each other for years. And then out of the blue, he called me up in January in 2011 and says, "Hey, Clay, let's do something." I'm getting old. I want to do something that no one's done before, and I want to make a name for myself. And I said, great. What do you want to do? Uh, he says, I want to catch every kind of freshwater fish in the state of New Hampshire. And I said, good. I'm going to do it with you. 
and let's eat them too. So we level it up. You know, it's always when you have a partner, got to bring it one level higher. See, I don't know enough about fish Mm -hmm. to know if that's like an audacious goal. Well, like like how many fresh? I'm glad you asked. How how many freshwater fish are in New Hampshire? So (laughs) New Hampshire is great because 10,000 years ago, a glacier came through and wiped out hundreds of species of fish leaving behind only about a dozen native species. And then in the 1890s, after um, settlers killed all the fish in the state, we, we Americans um, brought fish from all over the country and the world and dropped them all over the state of New Hampshire. So there are 48 species of freshwater fish in New Hampshire. And we thought, yeah, we can give ourselves one year and we can catch, kill, and eat them all. That was the plan. It, does, it, it, feels, it feels achievable. It doesn't feel like, yeah. uh, like anything yeah, and so we made some rules. Some of the, rule, one of the rules was we had to catch them all on a hook and line, right? So we couldn't uh, net out the fish. That's too easy. Uh, another rule was we cheating. had to, yeah, cheating. We had to eat the first legal example of each fish caught. So if we caught a little six-inch fish and it was legal, then we had to eat it. Uh, in fact, the second fish we caught was called a uh, yellow perch, and we caught it in a town called Effingham, New Hampshire. And it was a four, <laughs> yeah no it was a four inch yellow perch and so we made what's called an effing ham sandwich one effing small fish and an effing piece of bread and an effing piece of ham and <laughs> effing ham sandwich um, so so that was the second rule uh, it had to be caught legally in season uh, and we could recruit other people into the quest so once in a while while we were fishing if someone near us caught the fish we were chasing they would now become part of our quest and we would take their fish from them and eat it because some fish are hard to catch. Uh, and so we Fair. immediately uh, reached out to several newspapers and magazines and said, we're doing this really great epic quest and we want to write for you. And both magazines, uh, both newspapers we reached out to said yes. And they paid us, which I was like, wow, we don't, we don't even know how to write. And the dream. I know. I know. 22 cents a word. So <laughs> 500 word max. I'd like to get paid to get paid any sense a word that, that'd be neat <laughs> i know and so we launched a blog and and the fish nerds were born and we weren't called the fish nerds we were called uh we were our website was catch-m-all.com this is before the big pokemon crate <laughs> and you should know better by the way if you're making a website and you have to explain how to spell the website on every time you say it out loud bad website it's no so, good yeah bad bad news uh but we did that uh quest was going on we got Media attention like crazy. We were on NPR. We were um, Boston Public Radio, New Hampshire Public Radio. We were on Chronicle. We were in every newspaper in the state. We were on the front cover of the Union Leader. You know, so we were like the thing for about a year. Yeah, we were famous. And then we. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. I don't want to like. Like I I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to talk. I don't want to talk bad. But not a. Not a lot happens in New Hampshire. No, it's it's you know it's, it's split between <laughs> fishing and politics. That's all we got. You know, we vote okay. first and then we go fishing. You know, and <laughs> the fishing is the only thing the we live, agree on. <laughs> the, live, the, the live free or fish state. Yes. By the way, I moved to New Hampshire because of the license plates. I was living in New Jersey. I was eighteen. I I wanted to move, and someone drove past me with a live free or die license plate. I went, "Oh, that's badass. I'm going there. That's cool." <laughs> So here I am. All right. Of all, of all the places you could end up, you know, New Hampshire's not bad. Yeah, Got I mean, somebody knows there. You have all kinds of good, well, now we have great beers. At the, so we did the quest and uh, we were writing for these magazines and then we got an opportunity. There was a book pitching contest called Pitch a Palooza. Have you heard of this? It's a, it's a, um, 
No, you heard but of Lollapalooza, that cool. right? Yeah. So imagine Lollapalooza, but a lot less fun. You know, it's just way less fun, less musical. See, but I'm, but I'm a writer and a nerd, so this actually sounds way more fun than Lollapalooza. Also, I was small when Lollapalooza was a thing. So. Well, there it is. Well, I'm old. So I, when I was, I was in my 20s when Lollapalooza was a thing. I remember that well. So we were, we we signed up to pitch our book at this book pitching contest called Pitch a Palooza, and the prize was. Uh, connection with a agent in our genre so we thought oh we gotta win so the the setup is this it's american idol style you've got a you've got a host and then you've got three judges who are agents literary agents or publishers or something something in that in the like professionals in the fields like real people and then the audience um, was about 200 writers and readers and you have to get you get to the thing you put your name in the hat and they they draw out 10 names and there's 10 pitches that uh, night you have one minute to sell your book and so our name oh, got, yeah do this this is awesome so does it still exist uh <laughs> probably just google it uh the book doctors who wrote a book mm-hmm. on how to publish a book put it on they travel it's a it's a sales gimmick for their book um but it's so much fun so we we got our name came out we were about fifth drawn so right in the middle of the pack uh before the show before before the whole thing we drank several beers and practiced our one minute pitch we were pretty, pretty, <laughs> pretty drinky during the thing, and uh, so. But we were we were pitching against um, other published authors, uh, public radio personalities, TV personalities, and people who have like real chops, like who've come in with like full manuscripts written and ready to go. And they yeah. did their one minute pitches, and then we spent one minute laughing and telling very very short stories and pitched it and. <laughs> Uh, we won. The the judges critiqued us. They had all this like, oh my gosh, you guys said you were funny and you were funny. You said you were talking fish and you talked fish. And you know, we 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 hit all the marks and we won the whole thing at the end of the night. And we got connected with a New York City um, agent. We had an agent who was in Manhattan who was pitching our story for us, and we got to pitch hey, to. Yeah. I know we got to. So then he brought our pitch to executives in like Simon Schuster and all these other big big, big companies. And every single one turned us down. Every one of them just broke my heart over and over. And yeah, I know. And the worst. I've, I've been the, trying to. I've, I've been trying to get a book for a year and a half now. Yeah. So well, you got you. your podcast. <laughs> uh, and and every single <laughs> we knew we were going to fail. And by the way, our agent was was awful. He was just a nightmare. So we got we got right. one conference call in that uh, near the end because our last chance conference call. And about halfway through that call, I realized that um, our agent had no idea what our book was about. And oh, yeah. yeah, and I can't remember what the so we were talking to the president of a major publishing house with our with our agent on the phone. And it was a conference call, and I forget there was some oh the the agent the um, the president of the company asked a question, and our our agent says something to the effect very defensively says, "Well, I guess you didn't read the package I sent over to you." And I'm like, oh, you can't demean, you can't talk down to these guys. We're gonna, you're supposed to kiss their ass a little bit. And he said, I'll tell you what, you know what, you guys, um, we're not gonna take this deal. He said, right then, he's end of this thing. Um, and the problem is, you guys are too New Hampshire, you're too regional, you're not reaching anybody. And uh, so we're not gonna do it. And that was like the last door slammed. Uh, we hung up on our agent, and then we we called each other back, and we said, okay, we need to do something completely different. And we rebranded that night into the Fish Nerds, 
which we'd already been calling ourselves kind of on the side. We've been building into that anyway. And we launched the podcast that day. We've never recorded anything before. We never listened to a podcast about how to make podcasts. We just pushed record. I, I was a science teacher at the time. I grabbed some terrible Logic Pro headsets that the kids use for some computer program. And we pushed record on our computer and we recorded the first show and released it in the world. And we became the fish nerds and thought, okay, now we're world famous because we have four people in four different countries listening to us. And so that was it. That's the whole thing. Hey, those were the, those were the wild times They're back wild. then. Ah, yeah. Well, that was a mic and a bit of gumption. I know it's crazy, but we had no idea and at the time. We didn't, there was no stats. So you couldn't tell if you had listeners and there was no way to know. There was you had to guess your way through everything. Now with with modern podcasting companies, you get pretty good data. You know you've got listeners or you don't. And we we made yeah. podcasts for two years. For two years without ever knowing how many listeners we had. And with virtually no feedback. Oh, how? Like, like how, <laughs> like I get, you know, it's like we, we, do, we do these things because we enjoy them and because we have a passion and we want to make a thing and, you know, and if, if we get recognition or any like money or any cool things that that's just like a bonus, but I don't know. I mean, I, I got, I got like 12 different social anxieties and things and, and whatnot. And if I had to go two years mm-hmm. with no idea if any, Go insane. Oh, I know. And then two years in, we looked at our, we finally got our stats. Lipson did the whole updates and everything. And we're like, oh, we have 110 listeners in two years. Like, <laughs> nobody, <laughs> nobody was listening. <laughs> go, go back to us not knowing. <laughs> we were better off not, oh, we were happier because uh, it just all fell apart after we realized no one cared. And we were working hard, you know, so... But I was anyway. That was that was a, a long time ago, and and now and now we've we've gotten we've gotten much much better. Um, and one hundred and fifteen. Uh, we're up to one hundred and thirty-one. No, we have. I'm not gonna. I, I don't. I don't know why, but I, I'm uncomfortable sharing our actual data. But uh, we're oh, doing way better than that now. So uh, way better than that. But not the thing about podcasts and people don't realize it. No one listening. Like the immediate podcast, if you're listening to podcasts, you're important and you matter because most podcasts have less than 110 or 112 listeners per episode. Like over half are below that number. And, and if you're getting, uh, this is according to Lipson, if you're getting 1,200 downloads per episode, you're in the top 20% of all podcasters. So yeah, that's, that's not good. Yeah. But then, but then no, it gets really hard. More special, but then yeah, the next leg up is the ones who get like ten million per mm-hmm. episode. Yeah, the, all the NPR <laughs> shows and Joe Rogan owns the rest of the market, and that's it. Ugh. And if you're not them, <sighs> you're us. <laughs> so I'd ra- I, you know what? Even with all that, I'd rather be me than Joe Rogan. <laughs> uh, he's, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, you know, I still don't. I have to. I have to- Something to make myself feel better, Clay. So, how long have you been? How long have you been podcasting, Meg? Uh, since February of 2017. 2017. Oh, so you're going on almost two years. Not, not quite two. Almost two years. Which trying is to hit that 110 longer. download mark. Yeah. Yeah, just just <laughs> striving for it. Um, <laughs> it's longer than I thought we'd be doing it, which mm. is uh, awesome in and of itself. <laughs> And why and why do you do it? Because I hate my job. 
<laughs> I've hated all of my jobs and um, I don't get fulfilled really. It's just like a job. And I just wanted to do something that was like creative and fun and something that I know too much about. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, it was going to be YouTube videos. And then I took a look at YouTube and was like, nope, that's a bad idea. I'm going to mm -hmm. do this instead. Because that's what, that's what people want to, they want to see me in my the horrible mess of an office just talking into a microphone while RJ hides under a table. Who's RJ? Oh, your co-host. Uh, my my co-host. Is he, is he there now <laughs> hiding under your table? No, he not, is. I'm not he, telling. He's, <laughs> yeah, that, that would be funny. It's just like, so. <laughs> how it, now, how, yeah. it, how do you fund your podcast? Well, at first, uh, the only thing that was really kind of eating the cost is we is hosting mm -hmm. and then we bought a mic <laughs> and then we didn't pay for anything. <laughs> nice. And uh, now, now our Patreon uh, pays for like hosting and uh, equipment upgrades and stuff like that, which Whoa. is kick ass. <laughs> I'm glad you brought this up because I'm going to talk about how our podcast is funded. So people who are listening want to know. Uh, Patreon is also how we fund our show. We've been doing Patreon now for three years. And, our, and the only reason our podcast exists is because of Patreon. It's impossible to keep going without money coming in. And so for those who don't know, those new listeners, people are coming in, Patreon is like, imagine if Kickstarter funded ongoing art projects. That's Patreon. Patreon funds our podcast, which is an art project. Megan, you're an artist. I I am. You gosh are. darn it. And you, you <laughs> yeah. are too. And people like you. Uh, and, and so what we ask our listeners to do is to give us $1 an episode, so $4 a month, to try to keep this thing going. And so if you go to patreon.com slash fishnerds, you can help us crowdfund this. And we, you know when you do it, we'll read your name on the show and include you in it. And we'll send you some swag. And we have ultimate levels. And if you give us $25 an episode, $100 a month, we'll say the name of your business on the show. So our friend Josh Lopes at lopestax.com has done just that. And so we said the name of his business, lopestax.com. And he paid me 25 bucks to say that. That's good money. Say lopestax.com? Lopes, lopestax.com. Yeah, you want 25 bucks? Just say his name out loud. <laughs> say it three times in the mirror and he'll haunt you. <laughs> seems like a that seems like an ineffective business model. <laughs> I know, I know, but you know it's funny. He's he's a great guy and he's gotten business out of it. But it helps us. He's been doing that for almost two years, and he probably has one new customer out of the whole thing. But he's a fan of the show. He's a total fish nerd, and it helps. So we ask new listeners to get on board. Patreon.com slash fish nerds dollar an episode, four bucks a month, and I'll be your best friend. Uh, the other way we do it is selling ads. We don't sell very many, but right now we sold one this week. And we sold one to a company called uh, Spreadem. Spreadem is a portable outrigger for trolling for fish. That <laughs> sounds dirty. Uh, it's, it's a one-of-a-kind adjustable assistant for hooking up multiple lines to your boat without the hassle of crossing lines. <laughs> Everyone who's used Spreadem loves it. <laughs> Do you love Spreadem? <laughs> 
but I have a feeling if I if I tried it, I would because you know I, I need that that ease in in, in the hookups. <laughs> I know you can go if you want to. <laughs> don't Google Spreadum, but go to officialhooklinesinker.com for videos on Spreadum. I, I imagine if you Google it, you will find something different. Yeah. Uh, if you pre-order, don't Google videos. Of them. Yeah. Go to their website. Yeah. If you pre-order Spreadum now, you can save a hundred and fifty dollars off the outriggers. So if you have been looking for a new trolling solution, this is a product for you. For more details or to watch videos, head to officialhooklinesinker.com or go to GoFundMe and search for Spreadem, S-P-R-E-A-D-E-M. Give them a few bucks, help them get this thing going. So that's important. And it's important you do that. Give them like 10 bucks and just say thanks for sponsoring the Fish Nerds. The other thing ways that that audience gets involved with our show is we have a... Um, we have a segment on the show called Stump the Fish Nerds. That's our call-in segment. So if listeners call in 607-378-FISH, they leave us a voicemail, and we try to answer their questions on the show. Do you have a call-in number for your show? No. Uh, that's something we were kind of kicking around as an mm-hmm. idea. Um, but due, due to the, the way our show goes on, um, I'd almost be a little worried about what kind of calls we would get. Uh, yeah. And- <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know it's really funny is, is we use Google Voice, and I I had to reset my iPhone yesterday, and I must have messed with my Googley settings on it, and so just right before I got on here with you, my phone rings and I go hello, and the the person on the phone goes oh my god, you're Clay, and I went yeah, <laughs> I he goes I I called six zero seven three seven eight fish and you answered the phone and I went oh yeah. And, and he goes, oh, should I hang up and call? I, I don't, I want to leave a voicemail for Stump oh. the Fish Nerds. Wow, I'm talking to Clay. And he was like excited to talk to me. I was like, wow, I'm like a big. You, just, you made his whole day. I, well, he made, <laughs> well, you know what actually is funny to me is when I get those phone calls, it makes my whole day. Like I get so excited. So I'm going to play uh, his, his voicemail for you. And we're going to answer his question. Hey, Nerd Nation. It's uh, Jeffrey Lord a.k.a. Jeffrey Worm from Texas, and I have a quick stump to fish nerd. My mom's yard is covered in um, some sort of caterpillar, some sort of fuzzy worm. Sent it out to Facebook to see what kind of fuzzy worm it was. And actually, Doc Martin um, sent me a link to walnut caterpillars. I think that might be what it is. It is a pecan tree, and they are attracted to pecans as well as other type of nut-type tree. I know you're asking, what does this have to do with fishing? My question is, I swear I've seen somebody catch catfish on a caterpillar, some kind of caterpillar, I think in Arkansas. But I was wondering, do you guys know, can caterpillars catch fish? And is there a certain kind of caterpillar that catches fish the best? Thanks. Peace out, everybody. Okay. So, if, in case you didn't hear that, <laughs> in case it wasn't clear, that's Jeffrey Lord from Texas. And uh, he wants to know, can we use uh, caterpillars for bait now megan where are you from uh i am from miami florida you're from florida okay so it's hot down there yeah. and do you have caterpillars? Yeah, all pretty much always yeah <laughs> we we have yes we have caterpillars we got so we have everything we mm-hmm. have all the manner of, of things um miami <laughs> god <it> sounds awful <laughs> yeah, it is <laughs> it's, it's the worst yeah. now, did you choose to live in miami uh, in that I was born here. So no. <laughs> yeah. No. 
My, I've my been, I've been, yeah, I've been to other places. I've seen, I've seen exotic lands. I'm just sort of still here. I've been as far <laughs> north as New Jersey. <laughs> I've been, wow. I've been all the way up to Maine because wow. there was beer there there's that beer. I wanted. <laughs> there's, now there's beer everywhere. By the way, do you listen to the Great Beer Adventure podcast? No, I do not. But oh, so you want that, a good that, one? That name alone. Good. Yeah, really, really good one. My friend Amanda Dowdy runs that show. Very, very good. Okay, cool. So, speaking of beer, uh, fishing. Let's talk fishing. Do you fish at all? Right. Nope. Uh, not. Uh, <laughs> I fished uh, during summer camp that we had. Uh, I went to summer camp in Davie, which means nothing outside of the context, but it's uh, it's the out west sort of hick part of south florida Mm -hmm. uh that's where people that's where you see people on like horseback and and whatnot um there was a big lake and there was this dude who in like hindsight definitely stoned the whole time which can't say i blame him dealing with a bunch of like nine screaming nine-year-olds for most of the day uh that we would walk, that we would have our little activities. And one of the days we'd be like, okay, we're going to go to the lake and we're going to go to Mr. So-and-so and and Mr. Hives Balls and he's going to teach us how to fish. And that would involve him throwing it out there and handing us the pole and being like, have fun. And then every every few days, I guess, a fish would actually like get on the line and we would scream because we don't know. It's like, it's like, ah! Happening and things happening. He'd be like, okay. it's pulling. And he'd reel it in. And then there would be, yeah. And then there would be a fish. And then we would scream because fish. Mm. And it was because it was scary and flopping and it was weird. And it looked it looked unhappy because of course it would look unhappy. Because it's a fish. <laughs> and that's that's it. And All that's right. and that is it. Good. That so is that the, makes you that makes, this, this makes you qualified to answer the question. <laughs> Can one use caterpillars for bait? I'm so qualified totally qualified um okay so if so he put he put like fish food or some nonsense like some little like globby fish food bits on on the end of i don't know what it was Mm -hmm. but it wasn't a bug uh cartoons Mm -hmm. and television have told me that worms are a thing that people do and i guess a caterpillar is in that that same sort of wiggly invertebrates family okay nice big word choice it, i like that it, 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 oh yeah gotta gotta throw out them <laughs> them five dollar words where i can I'll read um, books but <laughs> read them so hard yeah. uh but <laughs> because a, a caterpillar becomes a butterfly it feels like sort of more cruel which i guess isn't super fair to a worm it it probably deserves to to not die as much as a caterpillar, but because a caterpillar becomes like a beautiful butterfly, it seems like that's I, sort of. I don't worse. use things that metamorphosize for bait. That's a rule. <laughs> that's my hard line stance. Hard line. I'm okay with worms because they're always just worms. But if you go through metamorphosis, <laughs> fuck you. That's it. I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's answer the question. We got, we got to give the, the proper uh, yes is the answer. You can use anything for bait. Now, the, will it catch you fish is the next part of that question. Uh, anything doesn't mean you're going to, you know, we, I've taken pieces of string off the ground, gum wrappers, 
and caught fish on them. And I've also caught fish using caterpillars for bait, especially those, those, uh, we have up here, we have these tent caterpillars, the Eastern tent caterpillars, and they cover the trees, these big webs of nests and they're gross. But if you pull those out, well, and the reason they cover themselves with those webs is because they're delicious. If you're a bird or a fish or anything else, and they cover themselves in webs and no one will eat them. So, you know they taste good because they're hard to get. And so just break open those nests, put them on a hook, chuck them in the water, and you could do it. Now in the um, in the south, you've got a tele, uh, you've got a, uh, I was say teleporter. You've got a caterpillar called a catalpa worm. A catalpa worm lives in those catalpa trees, like a big nut tree, and they apparently are great catfishing bait. So when they're in season, pull them off, put them on a hook, chuck them in the lake, and catch a fish. That's simple. So that's to stump the fish nerds question. If you want to get your question on the show, call 607-378-FISH, and we will laugh at you, too. That's how it goes. You got to laugh at me, though, so, you know, there's fair. Even even better. (laughs) Okay, so on our show, Chapter 2 here, we have... Fish Nerds Correspondents. We have people who help with their show. Do you have anyone on your show who helps out that's not a regular co-host or regular host? Um, not really. I mean, we've had guests, and and most of those guests have been my friends from grad school who I have dragged into the apartment. So mm. I guess they count because my, my, my friends uh, Mo and Scott have been on the show a few times. And actually, Scott helps run our Facebook group. So, All right, so you have help. I, I should... I should give him more, more love. <laughs> yeah. And so, so my vision for the show, we actually, when we first made the show, we were never going to do interviews because we don't like interview shows. We get bored. And so what we started doing is, is having um, listeners be part of the show. So if having interviews, we'd have them be contributing content because we get bored of interviews. And so we've created a, a group of, a group of listeners turned into the Fish Nerds correspondence. And now we do interviews too because they're the only way to grow your audience is to have someone famous on your show and, and grab their audience. That's what we've learned. Or, or make a flat earth, put flat earth in your title. You'll grow your audience also. That's two, two surefire ways. Um, That's what, okay. We've got to find a, got to find a flat earth book. <laughs> here's one. It's called the Bible. <laughs> so you can start there. God, don't don't even joke. RJ wants to do a, bi- a Bible episode, and you should. That's you should. Courting you might, disaster. Yeah, you might divide your audience a little bit. So we have correspondents. There's just listeners who contribute. So um, one of our first correspondents correspondent was uh, Luke Chamming from Australia. He's a lure manufacturer, a crazy guy down there. He tells about catching um, Murray cod and fishing, using fishing lures. Uh, Doc Martin. She's our our 27 year old PhD. Uh, professor from Emporia State University who does our science for us. Captain Sean Tibbetts, the angriest fisherman of the sea. Fish Guy Josh and the amazing James uh, from California. Uh, they do the F and West segment. And Fish Guy Josh now does two other segments, one um, about social media and the other called Fish Guy Follows and the other one uh, called Fish of the Day. Zoe Grows, my daughter, frequently co-hosts. Oh, I was just going to break in just because I want to say um, that you and Zoe's dramatic reading of the back and forth between you and the uh, the Nigerian prince camp artist guy was, <laughs> oh. oh my God, that was incredibly funny. It's like for a good chunk of it, she was just Cajun for some reason. Uh, she, does, <laughs> she doesn't, she, you know, she's 11, <laughs> so it's an unpredictable age. He's awesome. 
Yeah, she's great. <laughs> and and it's every time she's on, I get tons of feedback. I, I hate kids on I hate kid voices. So like when I hear a kid on a podcast, I'm like, I'm gone. I, I can't listen. And we don't allow baby talk in our house. We there's a we think there's a direct correlation between kids who talk like babies and kids who act badly. So we don't allow it. <laughs> we have this rule. I think nobody. <laughs> yeah. So she talks like a human being. So we've yelled at her too much. Uh, and she's great. Um, and <laughs> we have Hugo Medeiros, who is our culinary correspondent. He is our resident seagull. He'll he eat anything. Um, one of the worst things he ever put together for us was he ate scup sperm uh, for the show. Uh, you now, scup is just like bait fish and sperm. Well, you, you probably know what that is. Uh, and he fried that at and ate it. And it just seems like a bad idea. Oh, yeah. 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 Sound, it's bad. High protein, I'm sure. Uh, Nick Hudson Swagger is our audio guy. He once in a while will edit the show for us. Mostly he doesn't do anything but go fishing with us. Uh, Jeff Danielson, our effing librarian. Uh, in which case, we're going to talk about him for a second because we, Jeff Danielson works at the Mid-Continent Public Library, and he runs a segment called the Effin Book Club, our Fish Nerds Book Club. You'll like this. And so right now we are reading for the book club a book called The Dragon behind the glass it's the search for the for the uh arowana this is the the most expensive aquarium fish in the world it's an adventure story it's true by uh, emily voigt and here's why doing a podcast is so cool especially when you're doing it a long time i emailed emily voigt two weeks ago and i said i'm reading your book i'm talking about it on my show i'd love to have you on and then she called me on the phone yesterday i gave my phone number and apologized <laughs> for not getting back to me faster and i'm like you better apologize because i'm the fish <laughs> yeah um, you are sorry <laughs> no instead what i did was i went oh my god emily just called my phone i can't believe it i'm so excited <laughs> i was like such a fanboy i was like drooling i was crying a little bit i couldn't help it um but if you're listening to the show and you have not read the dragon behind the glass go to your local library take it out and read it because in about a week and a half i'm interviewing her and you're going to want to be part of the, of the um, conversation. She did give me a spoiler, and she told, told me it's okay to share it with her fans, with our fans. Uh, she survived the adventure. She spoiler. made it. She made it. She said, spoiler, I lived. So she'll be on the show. And I mean, how cool is that? You know, like, that's like a best-selling cool. author. I'm like, wow. It's not the first one, by the way. We have a lot. Uh, and, yeah, and see, most of our most of our authors are 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 dead. Are dead. Yeah, that's the problem with literature. Is it's it doesn't have to be old <laughs> to be good. Well, and well, and and the ones that are alive uh, probably wouldn't want to talk to us. Essie Essie Hinton is really mean on her Twitter sometimes. I think she seems like a nice person. She posts a lot of very cute animal pictures, but mm -hmm. she gets very mean about how people interpret the outsiders and she would not enjoy our episode. And so I, I told, I told our listeners several times, like, don't tweet at her. Don't tweet at her. Don't you dare tweet at her. Oh, you should totally, you, you need a rivalry. <laughs> so, so she could be your rivalry. It's great. I got blocked by the flat earth podcast guys because I, they're my rivalry. I've chosen them as my mortal enemy and they blocked me on all their social media. Um, Frequently, they'll I'll troll their pages and I'll change my name and I'll put up another thing and I'll put a link back to my my best uh, flat Earth episode called called "F You Very Much Flat Earthers" and they hate it because we wrote songs about them and we had scientists on and we basically called them dumb because they are. Um, but they are. 
Yeah. That's see, but that's but that's that's fun because you're that's trolling so dumb people. Mm-hmm. I I don't want to have a rivalry with the the author of like the one of the most iconic and earliest examples of like YA fiction <laughs> because I disagree with uh, her her views on whether or not we could read her characters as LGBT or not, mm, which you? is another story for another. Day. You absolutely can. Yeah, she, now, wait, actually, tell me what is she you know, write? So I'm going on here. That's okay. uh, what, the outsiders. I've I never read them. I never read the outsiders. Oh God! Everybody has to read that in like eighth grade now, and it's about. I mean, it's it's a really good book because it's about this kid who's like growing up in a in a gang and uh, just like socioeconomic disparity and like coming of age stuff. And it's um, it's a really important novel also because it portrays a really close like. Uh, relationships between like teenage guys, like loving friendships where they, and they have feelings and they like cry and they're allowed, you know, like they're, they're these hard That's asses who thing. end up going out nabbing. Right. It, <laughs> and it was in the, it was in the sixties okay. and she wrote it when she was like 19 or even younger, I think like 16, which is incredible. Um, More incredible. She's still alive and tweeting and she's old. Yeah. Well, I mean, she was 16 in the city. <laughs> I guess I'm, our, I'm you know, young. If our president can, <laughs> anyone can. <sighs> yeah, well, so, and you read them as as LBG, LFG. Well, there's okay. Q. You can do like so. The reason, honestly, mm-hmm. you know, because before we the episode, I hadn't even thought about this book in well over a decade. Uh, but it was it was voted by our patrons because that's one thing that they get to do, and um while we were researching her because there's less you can say about someone when they're still alive. You don't have like this full access pass that you do when someone's been dead for a hundred years. And so we did find her Twitter and we did find this sort of controversy where kids had like tweeted at her being like, Oh, I, you know, interpreted or read like these two characters as like gay or bisexual. Is that, you know, like, and she just like with this real blunt, like, Nope. (laughs) <laughs> nope nope not even like, not even like oh well i mean if you want to interpret it that way if you want to read it that way you know or anything yeah, like that most, or just any kind of like most, like most artists would be like cool read how you want to give me your money i'm happy you know like it's fine exactly but yeah no she just shut that down and these are and this was just these are kids like these are kids saying that to her and so someone like called her out and was like like come on like just let like kids are looking for representation like why you got to do this and she's like look you know I and then she, and she said and she said the thing that I just hate some of my I have friends who are gay lesbian da, 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 you know ah, it's not uh, but you know uh, they, uh, they're <laughs> yeah and so she was like you know but the, the uh, it's in the text and if it's not in the text then it's not true and if you can't find proof of it in the text then it's just not real, which prompted a good, like, I, I used my English degree for everything it was worth. And so if you do go back and listen to that episode, I provide textual analysis pulled straight from the words of the novel itself and nowhere else. And yes, you can read them that way. Of course you, you can. You, now, you, let me ask you one more thing. <laughs> this is I'm sorry. I went on a whole thing. This is important. Do you think she's read her own book in the last 40 years? 
No, no. I don't. And therefore, <laughs> you know more than she does about her own book. And that's a problem with... <laughs> But, but this is true. You are, if you're reading it more recently than the person who wrote it 40 years ago, you're more in tune with what was written. Because when you're 16 or 17 or 18, 19 years old, and you write something, your brain is not fully developed. You're going to forget stuff. You're going to change stuff. And, and memories are terrible. Memories do not work. I have psychology background. So <laughs> we get things wrong in memory. <laughs> so her memory of what that book says and what it really says could be completely different things. And she's not lying. She believes what she believes because that's how her memory works. But you read it more recently, so you're more accurate. So you win because memory is stupid. I'm not going to. I feel, I feel very validated. I'm not going to tweet that at her. Oh, I will. <laughs> I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna read that I'm gonna listen to that episode. So fish nerds, go find that episode on the Outsiders. Listen to it and then tweet, tweet at that author and uh, tell her that her characters are are gay and see what she says. Don't say like gay like you're in eighth grade. Don't say oh that's so gay. Say like that those guys are gay. Congratulations. Like be positive about it. Like don't make it a gay negative. Gay positive. I really, I really loved yeah. that you could read uh, Johnny and Dally's relationship as a gay one, and she'll be like, "No," <laughs> and then I will probably or get a, a nasty. Even better, say, sometimes. say the outsiders turn me gay. That would be <laughs> <funny>. <laughs> all right. You know what? Do that. Do that. Do that. <laughs> the outsiders turned you gay. Yeah. I support you. I'm going to start a hashtag. <laughs> the outsiders <laughs> turn me gay. <laughs> Genius. Oh, jeez. All right. So that's our effing book club. Welcome to the book club. Uh, we also have uh, John King, the crappy hippie, the maker of Glasswater Lead-Free Lures, uh, as a correspondent. And right now we're running a contest with him. If you want to call the hotline, 607-378-FISH. You've got a few days left to get in your fishy pet peeve for the big pet peeve episode in the giveaway. Dave Kellum, our co-founder, who I killed off in his last episode on the podcast, is still around. He's not really dead. Uh, but he he uh, is still with us. He occasionally comes on the show, and I never told why he quit the show. Do you want to know why he quit? Yes. Yeah, because because it it's you you can't do a show this long and not make money and do it forever. He just had to quit. Like it's just, <laughs> you have to quit sometime. <laughs> it was time. Eventually, you just have to go do other stuff. Yeah, you got to do other things. There's not a fun, sexy story. Uh, well, with Dave, everything was sexy. Now, uh, Rich Collins is our fly fishing correspondent. Started off as a listener fan, and then he went to fishing guide school with me, and then I, I hired him as a correspondent. When I say hired, I, mean, I don't mean I pay these guys. I mean, I just I let them, I let them work for me for free. Uh, <laughs> Andrew Lewin. So gracious. I know. Andrew Lewin uh, our, is, is the founder of the Speak Up for Blue podcast. He does our ocean conservation show. He is our conservation correspondent. And then Michael Frank is our fishing guide correspondent. He's a fishing guide down in uh, South Carolina. So that's our correspondence. But we need more. And here's what we need. We need uh, other voices, uh, different sounding voices. If you, if you heard that list, you heard only one female, two female voices. I would like to have like four or five female correspondents because I need that diversity of voices. I also need diversity of content. I need a correspondent who knows art. I need a mus some music correspondence, and I could really use an aquarium aquarist, an not a not an, not a, yeah, an aquarist, aquarist. Is that aquar aquarist? I I I, I want someone who. If you keep fish in a tank, I need you on the show. 
Uh, and, and here's how you qualify. Tell me how you put the fish in the box. Yeah, fish in the box. <laughs> here's how you qualify. You need to be able to record good audio at your house or on your whatever, uh, and you need to have a story to tell. If you're if you if you don't have those two things, uh, you're not going to qualify. But those are easy two things. So, and I think that's. That's our correspondence. I probably missed somebody on there. And actually, we have a Facebook group um, called the Secret Society of Fish Nerds where all those guys hang out and you're not invited. No one's invited in that group unless you are contributing to the show. That's a very small Facebook group. But we do have a bigger Facebook group called the Fish Nerds Podcast Group where most of our news comes from and our action comes from in that area, which is really the crappy hippie. John King uh, is a more recent fan of the show and he's recently, recently binged on our entire back catalog of 200-something episodes. And he put together a little, little list of his top six fish nerds episodes. So enjoy the crappy hippie. Hello, Fish Nerd Nation. This is Crappie Hippie, your tree-hugging redneck from eastern Kansas. And I've got a report here on the Fish Nerds Archives. We're getting a lot of new listeners, a lot of fine folk coming on board and enjoying the podcast, and we love you all, and we want more folks to come on in and join the family and join the fun. We appreciate all the shares on social media, all the reviews, you folks that have subscribed. Encourage your friends to come on in and give it a listen and do so. But if you're like me, sometimes one episode is just not enough. And so I've gotten into the Fish Nerds archives and come up with a list of six of my favorite episodes that you can listen to if you want to get more background on the Fish Nerds. I love to listen to this show while I put together fishing lures. I am the founder of Glasswater Angling. We are a lead-free fishing company. And while I sit here and put together our new lure, Angle King, I love to listen to a podcast. So I've been almost through the, I think I've been through the complete archive that's available online. And so here we go with my top six episodes. Number six, Tim Moore Ice Fishing Seminar, Panfish. This young man tells you how to catch the biggest white perch you ever did see. He is a successful fishing guide. He is a successful outdoor person in every way. Uh, has his own outdoor channel and so on and so forth. He goes into all the secrets. He delves into the depths of knowledge that he has procured over many, many years of chasing these fish, and he lays it all out there on this episode. It's a real treat to let a fisher get this deep and into his subject and be the beneficiary of it. Uh, he tells me, I've been fishing for five decades, and I learned a bunch of stuff listening to him. He has his species, his forage, he has his water temperatures. He brings it all together to tell you how to track down ginormous white perch through the ice so if that kind of in-depth fish talk appeals to you it's episode 99 uh, or the at website is eminently searchable some of the episodes don't have numbers just put in tim moore ice fishing and this episode will pop up and that's another good way to navigate the site we're going to move on to white perch i love to fish for basins when when the white perch white perch are nomadic they're just like they're members of the same members of the fam members of the same family as striped bass they're the closest living relative of the striped bass. They feed just like them. They work together. Uh, they corral bait. They ambush bait. They work together to do it. They're, they're hierarchical, so there'll be some bigger fish under the bottom. Let the smaller fish do all the work and then capitalize on what they've done. Uh, and then they head to the basins. Then they'll head to the basins and feed, but when they're done, a lot of times, they'll just lay on the bottom in the basins. So we love basins. We'll, we'll go out and we'll, we'll scout out an area that might have, it'll have as many basins that we can fish in a day. And we'll keep fishing from one to the next until we find the fish. 
and we've got some you know some regular go-to spots because of that um, there have been days well that that one day that I talked about we did some scouting and I took a friend of mine out to catch a few for his family um, we got we fished I think four basins we got two or three white perch and then there was the last one that I had scouted out I said we're gonna move over to this other basin I'm gonna drill a couple holes eat my sandwich and figure out what our next move is. It's 12.30 in the afternoon. I drilled two holes. I put the Vexilar in. There was nothing there. I, now, the water in Winnipesaukee is crystal clear. I dropped my jig in the water, and the minute that jig hit the water, the red lines on the Vexilar started to stack up like a Christmas tree. It was just unbelievable. Those fish were all on the bottom and on the sides of that basin. And the minute they saw that jig coming down, they all came right in. And they're so competitive that they'll swim up 25 feet, 30 feet, and you'll have six of them that'll break off, and they'll just come flying up to eat it. I ate my sandwich three hours later. Um, number five is 10 Fish Thanksgiving Special, episode 130. This is from Thanksgiving 2016, I do believe. It is a silly old show. It's juvenile. It's irreverent. It's even pretty darn gross, but it's also hilarious. What happens is Clay Groves... And our fly fishing correspondent, Rich Collins, and Clay's uh, ice fishing guide buddy, Vinny, and some other guys, they go out, go to the store, go to the Asian store, go to the gourmet store, and come back with all these different types of canned fish. And then they sit around and do a show where they try them. And some of them are ordinary run-of-the-mill items, some of them are gourmet, and some of them are pretty gross and kind of scary. And they brave ahead and and tries every single thing no matter what it looks like and or smells like and um, a lot of the action is pretty funny uh if you want to listen to a bunch of grown men act like a bunch of juvenile boys this is an episode for you if that jackass humor makes you laugh and you are going to laugh at this one because it is funny 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 as they make their way through these various food products oh and let's just kind of take a look at this if you thought yeah, anything we ate previously looked like cat food this Take is... a look at that. Mmm. That's minced shrimp, which means we don't know that any shrimp is actually in there at all. No, but there's other good stuff. Oh, I feel terrible. There's prawn, 18%. <laughs> Water, onion, garlic, soybean oil, peanut, lemongrass, chili, sugar, cornstarch, MSG, salt, and paprika color. Oh, paprika color. And it contains prawn. <laughs> they couldn't, like, spring for paprika. No. Let me get my little fork here. Oh, people eat this on purpose? Like, this is a real thing? Oh, oh, oh. oh Vinny, oh. this is like, God. <laughs> oh, oh. So, so for those listening, imagine... Oh, this is scary. Oh, I don't like that. <laughs> imagine cat food after the oh. cat eats it and then leaves it on your couch two hours later. Oh. Uh-huh. That's oh, I don't like that. <laughs> All right, you guys. Uh, this is minced shrimp from Thailand. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh. 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 It has, like, flavors you would want, but not in the right place. No. There's nothing good about that. Nothing. No, there's no. nothing good coming out of that oh, that's, can. That's baby poop. You okay, Vinny? Nope, I only use this one. <laughs> <laughs> Now I'm going to have to go completely the other way. I'm going to have to tone it down because uh, I want to talk about a very special episode. It's called A Tribute to Jared Hounsell. And Jared Hounsell was a 
poor guy that went through the ice. Uh, all I can say was that Clay was there, and I'm going to leave it at that. But I put this one on here. It's a solemn and sad episode, but this is how complex and how deep this show can be. Uh, our chief executive is one heck of a guy. Uh, he's way more than meets the eye, and as is his podcast. So I encourage you to listen to the story. I'm not going to fill in any details. You just need to listen to it. You, um, It's a very special story, and it's a very good story. Welcome to the Fish Nerds. I am Dave. I'm Clay. And uh, we're, we're going to start with a conversation um, that Clay and I had when we, we were going to do a regular show, and we realized it's just not time to do a regular show. So uh, It doesn't work. Yeah. All right. So uh, it's been a – those who follow the Fish Nerds on Facebook know about this already. But it's – I live in New Hampshire. We live in New Hampshire. I live in the White Mountains uh, in a very small community. And the other night I was coming out of a meeting uh, with a friend of mine, Brian, a uh, colleague, and the meeting was in a building uh, right on, on the water. And we heard, we heard a guy screaming um, on the ice, just screaming for help. And one of the worst sounds like you can imagine, just complete panic screaming. So uh, my friend... Uh, and I, we each grabbed our phones. We each called 911 at the same time. I told him to run to the fire department, which was right next door to the building we were in. And I ran out on the ice to try and help the person who was in the water. And uh, feel free, by the way, to stop at any time and ask me questions. <laughs> um, anyway, so I ran out in the water. I'm on the phone with 911, which um, on a cell phone might not be the best thing to do when you need help. I don't know if that's true or not, but... I felt like it was a, a slow process. I probably could have, could have done better calling 411 and asking for the fire department's phone number because it took a long time to get uh, people to understand what I was, what, where I was. Well, and that's one of the things I've heard recently, a mis, um, misunderstanding. People think if you call from your cell phone that your GPS kind of magically gives your location to 911. Yeah, and you would think it would, and you would hope it could, right? Because my phone knows where I am. I could turn the GPS on. It could find me within two or three feet. Right, but 911 is not set up for that. So. No, which is, which is a real shame. And if you ever want a good case for putting money into it, this might be the case for it. Um, the, uh, the 911 operator, uh, and if I'm giving too many details, let me know. I'll stop. But the, the 911 operator asked me where I was. I said, listen, I'm behind the Conway Fire Department, on the pond. Somebody is in the water. I need help now. Uh, that's pretty clear. There's only one fire department in Conway. Then she went on to ask me what street it's on and what's the address. And I said, somebody's in the water right now. Call the Conway Fire Department. Tell them to go outside with a rope and get out there now. Uh, and then she said, um, let me transfer you to your local 911. Oh, and, so she, and, who knows where she was from? Uh, yeah. So then I got transferred and I had to start that conversation over again. Mm. So the guy, I'm on the ice now. I'm 25 feet from the person in the water. I can see him. I'm yelling. I'm getting help. Hang on. We're going to get you help. And I'm looking everywhere for something I can help with. Now, I don't have any ropes or tools or anything with me. I'm just me on the ice. And I, I'm looking for a long branch. So I see near the shoreline a long branch hanging out over the water. So I make my way towards that. I'm still on the phone with 911 with one hand, talking to the operator. 
and I reach for the branch and the ice under my feet gives way. Mm. And, and I go all the way underwater. Now, number three is their interview with Paul Groves. Now, Paul Groves is an opera singer. I don't think he's any relation to Clay. But he talks about his entire life of opera singing and fishing. He is fanatical about both. And the reason I put this one on here is because it is a perfect example of a well-done podcast. This is back when Dave Kellum was co-host for the show. And the two of them interact with Paul Groves just masterfully. Paul Groves obviously is not... Uh, too shy about being in front of people, not too shy about talking in front of people. And so they just have a great time staying out of his way and letting him tell his stories and kind of guiding the conversation. And if you want to hear how an interview, how a podcast ought to be managed with a lively guest that has a lot to offer, I encourage you to listen to the Paul Groves stories because this is one fun episode. And if I ever get to go salt water fishing, there's a lot of tips in there too. This is my life. That's Opera is awesome. just something I do for a living. <laughs> right. Yeah. So in the bayou, I'm always fascinated how different names of fish. So like down there you have bowfin, but you call them something else. Gar? Well, there's gar, but like shoepike or something? Shoepeak. Shoepeak. Yeah, Yeah, shoepeak. Yeah. It's also called a grinnel. For a grinnel too. Yeah, it it looks a a prehistoric fish. Yeah. And always when we were bass fishing when I was a a kid, bass fishing in, in the marshes, Every once in a while, you get one of these shoe pick on, and they're huge, and you know, <laughs> and, and you think, too. I have the, I have the state record bass, you know, and you get it up to the boat, and you know, oh god. <laughs> I think it's so funny how people's attitudes change because I've done the same thing, and I pull it, in, it's like, oh, it's a carp, uh, yeah, just reel it in, but it's like that fight a second ago was like know, the biggest right. and most exciting thing ever. <laughs> I know, and as a child, when I was in, uh, I guess early teens or so my i have two buddies that i'm still really good friends with and we go still go fishing all the mm. time together and they live in new orleans two brothers and we went out to alligator gar fishing and we <laughs> actually sold the meat to the local fish markets wow and a lot of these were you know they're giants and they're 100 pounds you know yeah. and they're larger than they were bigger than we are yeah. Fortunately, they look hard, you know, they look really vicious. They look like an alligator with no legs. Yeah. But they're really wimps. Oh. I mean, you could reel them in with like 20 pound, you know, mono or something. Really? They, they yeah, just they're quit. just, they just quit. They're not used to things, you know, coming after them, just like sharks aren't used to it either. So oh, we've, we've caught sharks and they weren't that wimpy, the mako we caught. But the makos aren't wimpy. No. We, we, we were fishing down in Lafitte and the captain of the boat we were on wouldn't let us bring a gar on the boat because they stink it up. But then he recommended if we do keep one to make gar balls. Is that something you've eaten? Yes. Yeah. They're not good. No. no. <laughs> Any kind of meat that you have to do that much to to make it taste good is is not worth keeping. It really isn't. All the jacks in the Gulf of Mexico, I know. Well, yeah. that's what I was thinking. My first thought, I think, so I was thinking Jack Raval. That's yeah. my first instinct. But We have lots of those. God, yeah. those things piss me off. Yeah, right? how come? They're really good for bait. <laughs> because they're incredible fighters. And you think you have something fantastic, you know. And 
Every, everything that makes me angry, you know, is something that you think it's great and you get it to the boat and think, oh, God. Yeah, yeah. There, there we go. I there. can't eat it. <laughs> uh, we, have, uh, we have fans who have eaten Jack Rabal and, really? and say good things about him. Yeah. Oh, there's no way. Yeah. You would have to. Oh, we'll, send no you, we'll send you a recipe. <laughs> well, that gets us. One of our questions was, what is your favorite bait? So, like, if, if you had one bait you had to go with, you know, you only had one to take out. What would it be? And artificials too. So like if you're in, you know. For a deep, deep sea or, or for inland fishing? I guess the combination would be if you had one type of fishing to do that day. Like you only had time to go do one type of fishing. So your favorite kind. And then what would you be your favorite bait or tackle? It, well, it'd probably be anything live. Because mm. anything live, because we use a lot of live shrimp for, for inland fishing. Yeah. For the speckled trout, which I think up here you call weak fish yeah, or something. Exactly. And, we use a lot for that and redfish and all those fit. We, you know, if I have to go, if there's no artificial bait or if the fish are just on fire, I mean, if there's no live bait or the fish are just on fire, then I'll, I'll fish artificial. Yeah. And usually I use anything that looks like a shrimp, like a Berkeley gulp shrimp or now they have DOA and there's another really good one called a voodoo shrimp that it's artificial and it looks exactly like a live shrimp and that seems to work really well. Voodoo shrimp. <laughs> Offshore it, it just depends on, you know, used to we could troll for tuna but you can't really they don't want bite trolling anymore most of the year. You, you we either have to chum for them and the funny thing about it is the best chum for tuna and we used to use what you call Menhaden or Manhaden. yeah or bunker bunker yeah yeah we used to and you can still use those and they used to be lot great chunk bait a long time ago but not anymore the best thing is actually to catch a smaller tuna or some or a bonita or a jack of all or something with red meat and <sighs> use that and a lot of times they it, you can't even leave the skin on it it just has to be a chunk of tuna now number fifty on my second choice number one fifty five. Is Clay's interview with John Garrick. Jeff Donaldson, the FN librarian, highly recommends his books, and so do I. I had never heard of this gentleman before I encountered him on Fish Nerds. His interview was wonderful, witty, and wise, and I immediately became a huge fan. Went out and got all his books, read through most of them, uh, still reading through some of them. He's very quotable. He writes about fly fishing in a manner of speaking, but what fish story is really just about fishing. It's about a journey. It's about traveling through life. It's about learning. It's about love. It's about so many things. And John Gehrig has the writer's way of capturing all that and bringing it to you. Please listen to episode 155. Enjoy the interview. And then go out and treat yourself to a few books and enjoy them. It's, you know, I guided a little bit early on just to pick up some extra money. And I did just enough to realize that I don't have it to be a guide. I don't, I don't have the patience. I don't have the, the generous nature to really want this Nimrod to catch a fish. You know what I mean? I, I just didn't have it. And, um, but I'm, I've always been fascinated by guides and the better they are, the more fascinated I am. I think I'm made of guides around. There are now, yeah. It's, um, and it's an interesting thing. There was a time, and you can still find this up in the northeastern part of Canada, where the guide assumes it's his job to take you where the fish are and then stand there leaning on a net and not say much. Oh. Um, as, as one guy said to me, his name was Howard, uh, 
up in Labrador. He said, well, you know, I figure if a guy came all this way to fish and he doesn't know how to fish, that's just tough shit, eh? Oh, God. <laughs> and, but now it's like a guide has to be a counselor and a teacher and you name it, you know. There's a lot of hand-holding, for sure. But it's funny, you see that attitude with deep-sea guides. I've been on some deep-sea trips where that's what they do. They just park the boat and they fish, and it's, it's well, the same thing. It's tough shit. The little, the little bit of saltwater fishing I've done has been like that, yeah, where the guy just, he might give you a fly. He might say, fish this, and stand up there, and if I see a fish, I'll let you know. And then, he's you know, he's talking to his broker on the cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had a broker. That's cool. Um, Finally, we get to my very favorite episode. That's episode 148. And what happened here is I was sitting here. I had a big order of Angle Kings I had to assemble, and I wanted to listen to a fishing podcast. So I Googled in fishing podcasts, and I came up with a top 10 list. Fish Nerds was in that list, so I hit that, put me right through to an episode list that zeroed right in on episode 148. Now, I thought it was my fish angels, but people tell me it was my algorithm angels. But in any case, it was a great thing to come across another voice in the cause for lead-free fishing. The episode's not only about lead-free fishing, but also about bad advice you get when you first start fishing. The co-host is Clay's amazing daughter, Zoe, and she talks about jig fishing like she's been doing it for 20 or 30 years, but I think she's like 9 or 10 when she made this uh, podcast. Uh, she also has some very insightful things to say about lead and water contamination and why we shouldn't put up with it. Um, it's a wonderful, wonderful episode uh, with two brilliant hosts, and it is my absolute favorite. Oh, posted on that discussion, I'm going to read you. I'm going to read you what they person wrote. You ready for this? They wrote, so when are we fishermen going to push back against this lead law? I mean, maybe not get rid of it totally, but have it rewritten. Shouldn't be all lead. Should only be lead sinkers. Painted jigs with hooks should be excluded. So many types of lures that aren't made without lead, not to mention the price of these bir of the bird people. Okay, they need to work on his wording here. But not to mention the price of the bird people can make the law no reason why we can't get it rewritten to not completely screw us. So he feels lead should be okay to use. How do you feel about lead in fishing gear? I think it can, should be completely banned from the USA. Wow, that's a pretty, pretty strong, bold statement. Because if a loon eats lead, it's dead. Okay. So I came across this article by a person named Ted Williams, all right? Let me give you a little background on who Ted Williams. He was a baseball player, but not the same Ted Williams I'm going to read you about now. This Ted Williams. Ted Williams detests baseball, but is obsessed with fishing, as was the real, or as he much prefers, late Ted Williams. When he finds really, what, he, what he finds really discouraging is when readers meet him in person and still think he's a frozen baseball player. They say Ted Williams is frozen cryogenically until they can find a cure for his disease. Weird. Yeah, Google it. Um, what do you mean cure for his disease? <coughs> I don't know what Ted Williams died of, but it was a disease, and he thought if, I, if he freezes his body in maybe 100 years, they'd have a cure for his disease and they can save him. Weird. Isn't that cool? I'm going to have you cryogenically frozen when you, if you, when you die. What about you? I'm going to be long. I'm going to live forever. That means you have to be frozen. Excellent. 
Bad idea. The Surviving Ted writes full-time on fish and wildlife issues. In addition to freelance for national publications, he serves as the conservation editor for Fly, Rod, and Reel, where he contributes a regular feature-length column. Uh, I had I, I actually talked to Ted um, a couple days ago and recorded the conversation. I'm going to play that in a minute, but first let's read a little bit of Ted's article on on loons that he just wrote. Yeah, loons and lead. Yeah. So uh, this, this article is from uh, Cool Green Science, and it's uh, relatively new. It came out in November 2016, and the title is Recovering, Recovery, Saving Loons and Lead Fishing Tackle. Saving Loons from Lead Fishing Tackle. All right. And this is Now, he lives on Big Island Pond, and our, we have a friend named Tom lives down there as well. So I know, oh. yeah. A night silence settled over Big Island Pond in southern New Hampshire when we lost whippoorwills. But about 20 years ago, common loons showed up for the first time in even my grandparents' memory. The territorial song of the males, which sounds like... (laughs) Wild discord yodeling starts at the end of our island and is answered at the other. Then... Contact calls soft, owl-like hoots, and wails like the whistles of a distant freight train. By day, tremolos as the heavy black-and-white checkered birds descend in swift flight, hitting the water and skidding sideways like ditching aircraft. In May 2009, I watched a loon haul onto our beach. It couldn't hold up its head. It quivered. Its ruby eyes grew dull. Three hours later, it was dead. Whoa. Whoa. A neurotoxin had destroyed cells in its liver, kidneys, eyes, and brain. That neurotoxin was... Lead! Lead, thank you. A lead sinker as small as a split shot will do that. Now, loons yep. face hazards we can't do much about. Um, what do you think things we can't control loons are uh, dangerous we to loons? We can't control invasive species like zebra clams. Right, zebra mussels, good. Zebra mussels. Yeah. Right, which are invasive to one the great one of the Great Lakes. That's true. That's very true. And mercury, we can't do much about anymore. That's already there. But lead fishing tackle, however, is a hazard we can do something about. Mm -hmm. Non toxic metals include what? What do you think? Copper. Copper's great. Iron. Iron, sure. That's get rusty though. Steel. Metal. Yeah, metal. Tungsten. What's tungsten? That's what we've been fishing with all winter. Oh. Yeah, but it's it's actually it's uh Ted writes it's heavier than lead. I'm going to argue it's it's more dense than lead. Yeah, I'd argue that too. Yeah, cuz density is is a ratio of mass and volume. So for its size, uh-huh. it is heavier than lead. And if you brought it to Mars, it would be a different weight than here. That's probably true. It is true. <laughs> the different amount of gravity determines the weight. That's very true. Okay, so non-toxics hold up better than lead. Don't snag as easily. Keep tackle boxes cleaner and are safe for humans. Now there are even ceramic or natural rock sinkers. That and, sounds like a better idea than yeah. Now, when I was a kid, Zoe, we used lead, and we would take the sinkers and put them around a piece of a fishing string and then bite them with our teeth and smash them on. And even a tiny piece of lead can cause brain damage. That's why my hair is falling out. Outside the Great Lakes, lead tackle is a leading cause of adult loon mortality. In New Hampshire, for example, 48% of dead adult birds turned into the Loon Preservation Committee were poisoned by lead. The committee and its partners rope off nesting sites, erect buoys and and warning signs, deploy nesting rafts, rescue injured and stranded loons, host seminars, and work with dam owners to maintain 
suitable water levels. But prior to this year's strict lead tackle ban, full seasons of nesting raft management were negated by just 38 pieces of ingested lead. So 38 pieces of lead killed tons of loons. So that's the 38? It doesn't take much. The only states with lead tackle regulations are New Hampshire, Maine, Massachusetts, Vermont, New York, and Washington. Is that Washington State? <coughs> yeah, Washington State. Good. Yeah. Many others, including Minnesota, which has slightly more than half of the, all 48 loons, rely on education. Education means they're just talking to people. All right. We've been educating about this problem since the early 80s, declares Loon Preservation Committee Director Harry Vogel. The only point at which we saw a measurable decrease in lead mortality was when legislature restricted sale and use. Education by itself doesn't work because lead tackle remains widely available. New Hampshire's ban strengthened in 2016 outlawed the use and sale of lead sinkers and jigs that weighed one ounce or less, uh-huh. which is fantastic. A law that looked to be as good as New Hampshire's went into effect this year in Maine. But after hearings in legislature inserted an exemption for painted jigs, in the mistaken notion that paint somehow prevents pebble-sized, pebble-filled gizzards from grinding up lead. We were dumbfounded, says a leading wildlife veterinarian, Dr. Mark Pokras of Tufts Cummings School of Veterinary Medicine. It's a huge loophole. So they're saying, in Maine, if you have a lead jig that's painted with paint, you can still use it. What? The assumption is that the paint won't, won't, won't get knocked off when you're eating. It's just not I bet it would because cause we've... Me and Dad have done something. You know, you have people have flattened coins underneath railroads. My dad's flattened a, a lure. The paint turned, the paint of it turned into a different flat piece, and the the jig itself. Okay, so that's my top six. If you want to hear episodes with yours truly in them, my first appearance was on one eighty three, and then here lately I got to co-host on two o three. So that's it, folks. Thanks for listening. Keep the listenership coming. This has been Crappie Hippie, Tight Lines and Valentines. Peace out. All right. So now chapter four. This is the last chapter here because you now you're listening to the podcast. You've heard a bit of history about the podcast. I encourage you to go and binge on the entire back catalog. And there's still about 65 shows that don't live on the internet anymore. And I'm slowly putting them back in as uh, Fishner's throwbacks, FN throwbacks. Uh, and so you'll get to hear all those things. And those are the early shows with, with Dave and I are both on the show together. So now, this I call this humble bragging because this is really, why do I do the show? What keeps me motivated to do it? And, and it's because cool things happen because I make a podcast. That's This is why I do it. One of the cool things... Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Well, Batty, you can just be, look at this, look at this cool shit that happens to me. Oh, and then you do a thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. I mean, but it is bragging. I mean, it's honestly... But it feels good, and that good feeling makes me make more shows, right? So, first of all, the coolest thing is hearing from listeners. The fact that if I don't put a show out every week, I get emails from people saying, where's my effing podcast? And that makes me happy because <laughs> they care. Uh, and so that's when people call the Fisher's hotline, 607-378-FISH, and leave a message. That makes, that brings me joy. Uh, but even more fun, <laughs> not even more fun, but but other things also happen. Uh, We've been featured on, we've been on public radio a number of times, uh, which is fun. We get called in to be special guests. We've, 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 um, we've, and we've been on TV a bunch, been in a lot of newspapers and magazines. Uh, and my favorite, I think the coolest thing that ever happened was a couple of years ago, uh, and, and you heard John King talk about this earlier, Dave and I got, 
got called to go to Boston to perform, to um, record an episode at Symphony Hall with a world-famous opera singer, Paul Groves. And I think to me, recording <laughs> in Symphony Hall and standing on stage at Symphony Hall um, with a famous uh, opera singer was one of the neatest things that ever happened. I mean, that's so cool. That's so dope. I, I saw the the Boston Pops there. So mm-hmm. it's like I, I have a very, I, I can picture it in my head. Just, just like, oh, damn, that's cool. I know. And, and well, we actually got to hang out backstage with Paul Groves and he uh, at, at, before the show and he was playing the piano and singing Billy Joel songs, you know, before the show with us and then record the podcast. <laughs> we went on stage. We sang. He sang our intro for our show with us on stage. And then we got free tickets to the show. And then after the show, there was a line of people trying to get autographs from him. And my wife and I just walked past that line and Paul opened the door and brought us backstage to hang out with him and all the opera singers and stuff. And we're like, man, this is because we make a, we make a stupid show about fish and we get to do these cool things. So like, that's amazing. Last year, I got flown to the Virginia Aquarium and Marine Science Center and I was their speaker for their Sensible Seafood Festival. So I spoke on stage there with lots of people listening to me talk about fish. And I spoke at, I was I made appearances at beer breweries and at, at Whole Foods, which is weird. Uh, the whole thing was weird. Um, but, the, but, but even, but yeah. And so and coming up, I'm going to Emporia State University to talk to uh, a college class about fake fish in the news. So um, another speaking gig, Doc Martin's class they're flying me out and then next year i'm i'm presenting at podcast movement in orlando because somehow because this year i won an international speaking award i now i'm qualified to speak at big conferences so now i'm going to be presenting at at um at giant podcasting conferences so yeah so my ego is being really really bad (laughs) are you going to go to that conference yeah because because it's in orlando which i can get to (laughs) i can't go because money. <laughs> yeah, because money. Now, Orlando from Miami is what, three hours, four hours? Yeah, it's about three hours. Yeah, about three hours. So, yeah, you can, to- you can just drive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I'm very excited. So, I will see you speak there. <laughs> You'll come to my session. That'll be fun. I haven't decided what I'm going to do yet. So, that'll be fun. Um, the other thing about my podcast is that because of my podcast, I now run my own small business. I run a fishing guide service and I have snowmobiles and things for ice fishing and I have a brand new fishing boat and I do a lot of fishing uh, on the boat and people pay me money to go fishing, which is weird and awesome all at the same time. And it's really cool. So that's why we do it. Mostly though, the podcast gets made every week because I don't know how to stop. I'm not as smart as Dave, so I can't quit. Uh, Someday I'll quit, (laughs) but right now it's still happening. So we're going to keep cranking them out. You're locked in. Locked in. And plus, I feel bad when I get those emails saying, where's my podcast? <laughs> I need it. I need my fish nerds. All right, Megan, in front of you is a little script. We're going to wrap this thing up. I, and if you want to know more right. about the fish nerds, feel free to email me, clay at fishnerds.com, call the hotline, ask us questions, and we will fill you in. But hopefully, if you're a new listener, this helps you catch up with us. And then next week, brand new show for you i think we're doing um fishing pet peeves and the week after that we're doing the dragon behind the glass so get that book read go ahead megan so that's it so that's it you've listened to a bunch i hate you <laughs> so that's it 
You listen to a bunch of fish nerds when you should have been fishing. We'd like to thank our families for supporting us while we podcast, go on nerdy quests, and do the silly things that nerds do. Special thanks to Megan Danger has from the Oh No Lit Class podcast. Danger is her middle name, which I love. Uh, big thanks to Wally Pleasant for our new theme song. I hope you liked it, Megan. Uh, it's I a lot of fun. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> so until next time, follow the code of the fish nerds. Spawn early and often. Never trust a free lunch with strings attached. And swim against the current every chance you get. You did it. You made a Fish Nerds podcast. Congratulations. <laughs> I did it. I managed to not ruin another person's podcast again. Well, I have, you're gonna, I have to edit a lot, but it's going to be That's okay. That's true. I, I ruined it a little. I'm sorry. <laughs> Didn't wreck it. I've had worse. <laughs> so, And I'm super excited to have met you. I'm so glad. I'm, I'm seriously excited to meet you. And it's so fun to when you hear someone someone's podcast for a long time then you meet him in real life kind of real life it always feels good and exciting and whether you're I always get a little starstruck in the stream, and nervous, so I'm, I'm wet, super happy or deep in the ocean casting nets fish nerds fish nerds fish nerds it's a podcast just for the halibut fried in a basket or broiled in a pan eat it raw like you're in Siam fish nerds Fish nerds, fish nerds, it's a podcast.